I think it's just a situation where things kind of need to get broken at some point so we can kind of fix it back in a different way. And it doesn't mean the old way was wrong. It just means there might be a different way of looking at things that we might want to revisit. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today we're joined by Florida State assistant coach Clyde Keller. Coach Keller played for Jerry Weinstein and Mike Martin, so we discuss several commonalities between the two. But we also get into analytics that they use at Florida State, some of the changes incoming freshmen have to make, and how to train hitters in a more game-like environment. Here is Clyde Keller. Coach Keller, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve today. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Love to be on the show. Uh, I, I can't wait to dig in, and, and I'm so happy that, that I've been following you on Twitter for a little while, and then you said that you would be interested in coming on the show, and I was thinking to myself, no-brainer, a guy of your baseball background and, and of your coaching experience. But for our listeners who you know may not be completely familiar with, with yourself, can you talk to us about your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching? Well, I, I guess it really all started... Uh, I, I got cut from my freshman baseball team. Um, <laughs> so instantly a chip was put on my shoulder right there. And uh, I've always felt I was a pretty decent ba- baseball player, but that really kind of opened my eyes. I've, I was always uh, a little undersized. And so when that happened, you know, it really made me determined to go ahead and, you know, go all in. So basically my baseball background started there, worked my butt off, was a good high school player. I ended up uh, being... Uh, Sacramento player of the year. I, I grew up in Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. Had no offers out of college for, you know, to go play. So <laughs> by chance and by luck, uh, Jerry Weinstein was coaching at Sac City College, you know, probably one of the best baseball minds ever. And uh, I was lucky enough to go play for Jerry. And by the end of uh, two years there, I, you know, I threw up some stats and had multiple offers and went on to Florida State from there. In between, I played Team USA and uh, all that good stuff, summer ball stuff. But I got, again, got a chance to go play for Mike Martin, you know, who just recently broke the the wins record. And that was an experience in itself, just being able to play with him. But, you know, snapshot now, you know, I wanted to get back into coaching. I had coached at Western Kentucky and for the Blue Jays and New York Penn League a little bit. Got out of it because I had to make some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a whole lot of money to be made in those days. And uh, wanted to get back into it. My my uh, middle son Kenny talked me into getting back into coaching. I called Coach Martin up, said, "Hey, I'm updating my resume. Um, would like to use you as a reference." He said, "Absolutely. Um, by the way, why don't you come up to our place and volunteer with us for a while and see what happens?" And three years down the road, I'm still there. So awesome. <laughs> because I have a yeah, because I have a great wife who's allowed uh, allowed me to do that, you know, and take care of the household. You know, I'm living out my coaching dream right now. So it's been very positive so far. Oh, definitely. And to be completely honest with you, I don't know of many guys who have had two better coaching influences than yourself with Jerry Weinstein and uh, Mike Martin. So, you know, just, just off the question list a little bit, what, if anything, do those two guys have in common? Uh, great question. Uh, number one, they are competitive. You know, playing for Jerry was was not intense so much as it was a constant learning experience. I mean, he could literally tell you play by play, position by position, player by player, 
what the heck was going on in the game and what was going to happen, it seemed like sometimes. Playing for Jerry absolutely prepares you for every aspect of the game. And then getting to play f- and, and coach with, uh, with 11 has just opened my eyes up to what the, you know, the intuition of baseball. He's, he seems to know things that are going to happen ahead of time. And I know his experience and I know that he's been around the game a long time. But some things are just uncanny in how it unfolds. And he's one of those guys that is always teaching, but has that instinct of knowing kind of what's going to happen ahead of time. And I think both of them have that ability. And so is that why you think that, I don't want to use the term older coaches, but I guess more seasoned coaches, and they've been able to stay in the game for a long time? Absolutely. I When it comes, you know, College coaching really comes down to wins. Um, you got to win and you got to produce and you got to find the best way forward from what you want to do. And uh, and both uh, both Jerry and Eleven have been able to kind of transcend, you know, different eras. Jerry's so versatile in, in how he thought before and, and what he thinks now. And when you talk to Coach Martin, you know, he'll tell you there's multiple things he's doing differently now than he used to. So, being able to adapt and being able to change to not only different players in the game, but different eras and different ways of doing things has, I think, really been the contributing factor to both of them being successful. I love that. And when you mentioned Jerry Weinstein, you're, my ears perk up a little bit because you know he's, he's a guy that, and not saying Coach Martin isn't, but he's a guy that just puts out a ton of information. And, and he's one of the only guys I have my notifications on on Twitter because he'll just post a seemingly meaningless video and just explain exactly every aspect of what the guys are doing. And, you know, being a guy who I, I take pride in knowing the game, but almost every single time he does that, I learn something new. And so that's, that's just unbelievable. And, and it's just, you know, life goals to be able to be his age and to be a continued learner. And, and the same thing with, you're talking about with, with 11 and, and him being able to, to be so relevant for so long and still be loved by his players. I think that's absolutely fantastic. But let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, you know, what what philosophies and some different things that you like to do. So let's start in the fall. You know, let's talk about what our main goals for the offseason should be and, and some of the different things that you guys like to do. Well, I can tell you at, at Florida State, we really like to know exactly what we have in our players. You know, a lot of times you can go watch a player play, you know, whether showcases or tournaments and, and so forth. And you can see arm speed, you can see bat speed, but a lot of times, you know, you only get a certain amount of looks and then they get on campus and it might be the same player you thought, or it might be totally different. So we really like to see what we have in front of us. And the best way to do that is, is competitive at bats, you know, competitive innings as a pitcher, you get them out there, trying to get them to know the speed of the game because the college game is very fast compared to the high school game. And for us as coaches, we need to know our players and be able to know kind of where they come from, what they know, you know, hitting questions, pitching questions, defensive questions are paramount to our fall knowledge center, if you will. From the player side, it's all about, about developing physically and about, you know, gaining arms, arm strength and gaining bat speed and you know, we got limited hours, so a lot of the stuff that they do is going to have is incumbent upon them to develop. We obviously set the plan in place of what we we feel like they need to do on a basic level, but we try to grab them individually also and say, "Listen, if we're going to be successful as a team, you have to be able to do this A, B, and C." 
And in the meantime, we need to increase D, E, and F. And as long as everyone's on the same page, you know, your team goals tend to go right into the player development side of things. So I think it's a win-win. Well, that's fantastic. And, and you yourself are mostly on the hitting side. So talk to us about, you know, what's your process in deciding, and you use the term ABC, uh, what is your process in deciding what a hitter needs to work on? And so you, I, I, and I love that, that ABC, so you need to do D, E, and F. So talk to us about, you know, what you're looking for in, in a swing. Basically, we have two two different concepts, you know, you know, you got your old school and your new school kind of combating each mm-hmm. other. And, and it's played its way into college ball, of course. You know, what we really like to do um, from a player standpoint is, again, on the knowledge side, why are you swinging like this? What got you to this point? You know, are you leg kicking and bat tipping because you just think it's the cool thing? Or is it actually setting up a process for you? So at that point, we can kind of understand where the player's coming from. You know, some players are very analytical. You know, you they'll tell you exactly every inch of their swing and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And other guys will come out and say, you know what, I see the white ball and I hit it. <laughs> so so at that point, you know, that analytical guy might benefit a little bit from just a more simple thought process, you know, whereas the other, other guy might benefit from a little more analytical process and understanding what they're doing. So as far as the swing goes, we're, we're really trying to custom make a swing for each one of our players. And then we kind of just build on that, if that makes sense. No, definitely. So being a guy who is uh, constantly looking at, at high school hitters and deciding who you guys are, are going to go with, what are some of the most common problems that you see with high school kids? And myself being a high school coach, how do I prevent, how do I help prevent some of these problems? You know, it, it, it's funny you said that because no matter what the talent level is, you know, kids will fall in kind of the same, the same problems at some point. It's, it's adjusting to velo adjusting to differences in velo, and how are you going to hit when you're uncomfortable? You'll see hitters that have tremendous bat speed, and yet their pitch recognition is very bad. So at that point, if we just sit there as coaches and throw 47 miles an hour from 35 feet and throw it right down the middle to them every time, are you really helping that guy? Well, hmm. probably not. You know, everyone can do that. Everyone can square up a ball in that situation. So at that point, you know, that same kid or the same problem the problems he may have on a pitch recognition side, you got to build some drills in to your practice plan to take care of that. The speed of the game, again, is is important. Most kids come in to the college game and they either get blown away by the velo right away or they cheat. And so when they start cheating, then they're, they start being susceptible to breaking stuff and they try to adjust to that and now they get caught somewhere in the middle. And And so that's the biggest thing for us with the kids coming in and, and the difficulties and in, in adjustment is really just knowing what's my swing doing and how can I go ahead and compete at that level and still feel comfortable at the plate doing it. I love that. And you're also building a lot of awareness within the player too. So it's not that if coach Keller is around, it's the only time that, that they get to see their swing be fixed. It's you're building ownership in them to be able to do so. But you've got me a little bit curious. You mentioned that 47 feet at four or 30 feet at, at 50 miles an hour is really going to cut it. So what are some different ways that you guys go about, you know, building some of that competitiveness and some of that being able to adapt to velo uh, in the swing? The main thing I see and what I, 
I would like to do as a coach with every player is overclock. And by that, I mean, turn up the machines, get, get the velo going, you know, throw explosive breaking stuff from the machine and let kids see it. And if they just take 100 balls a day without swinging, they're going to get better. They're going to get better at, at the recognition side of things. They're going to get better at, at adjusting to velo, just going through movements. You know, it's, it's a thing where hitting hitting's tiring. You know, you take 50, 75 cuts. I mean, you can be worn out. So how many, how many times can we see a baseball and, and still stay fresh and keep our eyes fresh? So I really like the overclocking idea with, with just turning up the pitching machines and, and trying to slow things down after that. You know, a game prep side, I really think the game's going to live BP instead of just regular BP. I think you're going to see programs start to use 60 foot, six inches and throw an AstroTurf on the mounds before a game. And they'll get all their cuts in the cages and warm up and they'll come to the, to the field and get two or three at-bats against a live pitcher pregame. Um, I think that's kind of where everything's going to go at some point. And I think, honestly, that's a better way of preparing yourself for that game situation. Oh, for sure. And and I'm of that, you know, common mindset as well. And you are preaching to the choir here because I, I love to hear that. And I, you know, I think the listeners know that I've taken a stance against traditional BP because again, if we want to make things game-like, we need to make it like the game. So I think that, that you're absolutely correct in that. So besides VLO, you know, once, once high school hitters get to you, they're going to see some just filthy breaking stuff. And they're going yeah. to see it in all kinds of different counts, which probably didn't happen in high school. So how do you kind of train the ability to adapt in the swing? And what are some ways that, or maybe some drills or just some different mindset uh, shifts that you guys help with that? You know, one of the things that I've been doing, and I think is really important, is is we try to put players in fooled positions. Because you're not going to take a perfect cut every time. So how are you going to handle the fact that you're out on your front side and now all of a sudden you're adjusting to change up and you got to swing because you're in two strike situation? Well, we'll actually put players. We'll do a side, you know, we'll we'll do flips and and toss and side toss and and soft toss and we'll put players in. You say eighty percent weight on your front foot. Now how are you going to fire from this position because you just got fooled? And so we try to put them in 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 fooled uh, positions as a hitter, and then we go ahead and say, okay. Now we recognize curveball out of the hand early. Are we going to adjust early? Like maybe use our scap, our scap load to go ahead and adjust and keep our kinetic chain intact? Are we going to adjust our stride timing? Or are we going to get to that last adjustable point where we're, you know, we're working the ground forces because we're already too far forward and we got to sink into our legs? So we'll run them through the gamut on that and try to make them as uncomfortable as we can. And then hopefully to the point to where, hey, you know, I'm fooled, but hey, I still got a plan to attack this pitch because I've been doing it for a thousand times. No, definitely, and and I've been guilty of this as well. And it's that part is training a hitter, not necessarily training the swing. Correct. I love that. So you get these kids on campus, and you've got a group of you know 25 individuals within the team setting. So what's your best advice on being able to help them as an individual? within the team setting. So how do you prioritize their individual development as player, you know, number one, player number two, player number three, instead of just doing it as a, as a team, as the whole? Uh, Again, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, not necessarily an interview, but knowing your player, asking questions, you know, how much do they know? 
And then from that point, you can start working individually with them on, on development goals. Because the bottom line is winning teams don't win unless their players are developing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as coaches, we, we get too caught up in, in, hey, you know, I can make this team win. But ultimately, it's the players that are going to be on the field and the players have to be performing. And if you're not continually improving, someone's going by you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a fact. So whether you're not getting strong or you're not doing the drills you need to be doing from a pitching or hitting side or defensive or whatever, you're, you're never staying the same. You're either losing ground or gaining ground. So how do we get those kids to gain ground every single day? And you know that's, by, that's how you answer the th- two questions at the end of practice. Did I get better and did I make my team better? And as a coach, you got to meld those two, uh, those two ideas together. And the players really got to understand that, hey, I'm going to college and my college team's going to win because I'm able to do this, this, and this, and this is a weakness I have. I need to improve this so that my team can win. And once everyone's under that, that mindset, you know, magical things happen. Well, definitely. Let's go ahead and skip forward past the off season. And you guys are, you know, cur- let's say that we're, we're currently in season. What would a typical practice plan look like? And, you know, th- this is the stuff that I really like because I want to know how to efficiently use our time. So if you don't mind, just take us through kind of a skeleton practice plan on how much time we would spend on what. And then I would selfishly love to know what y'all's uh, BP looks like. I can tell you it's much different in season than it is out of season. Okay. Um, you know, we play so many games and, and with travel and so forth, recovery is really big with us. You know, our players have to stay fresh. You know, we're asking them to hit 95 mile an hour fastballs and 87 mile an hour sliders. And, you know, if, if we're not fresh, it's really hard to do. So recovery is really, really important to us. But from a practice plant standpoint, we, we're big on defense. So we hit defense as a priority first, um, whether, you know, whether it's infielders, outfielders, catchers, you know, pitchers, we are individually going through individual drills uh, to start practice most of the time. Then from that point, we'll go into def- team defense where we'll hit on certain situations we feel like we've missed and uh, missed upon during the week. From there, you know, bunting is a big part of what we do, you know, mostly from the base hit side of things because we feel it opens up holes, but we'll make sure we touch on bunting. And then from that, you know, we'll go into a, a BP session where we're running kids from cages to on field. We're getting live defensive reps at that point. We might have a, an infield group hitting while our outfielders are, are running balls down live off the bat all at the same time. So in season, you know, finding ways to be so efficient in your practice plan is important because you want them to get the reps and stay, stay sharp, but you don't want to run them ragged for two and a half, three hours a day either when they got to go play, you know, four games in the next five days. No, definitely. So what is your, uh, what are your BP rounds usually look like? We will take the bulk of our swings in the cages, like I said, off, you know, whether we got machines set up to certain pitches. Once they get onto the field, we'll, we'll run them through set of four, eight, four, most of the time where we're working hit and run. We're working, moving the runners over. We'll get to the point where we got man on third. We got to drive the guys, got, drive the guys in. We got rounds where, like a, a round of eight, for instance, we'll sit there and go, okay, the first two, we're trying to get the ball in the air. We're going to score the guy from third. The next four, we're just going to let you f- let it fly and see how hard and how far you can hit the ball. Um, just working bat speed and bat strength at that point. And then the last two might be 
okay, we got a man on third, corner infielders in, and we're shooting balls up the middle trying to get that runner in. The last round of four is typically we might mix up pitches and make it more competitive for them. For instance, we might go, uh, we might have a set sequence of fastball breaking ball that day where we'll go fastball breaking ball, fastball breaking ball, all with bases loaded, two outs. You got to drive the runs in. Um, we might set something up where we're 2-0. and oh. um, We're throwing all fastballs. We want you to get one great cut. Um, make sure you get one great cut here. So we put a, try to put them in different scenarios, and, and our BP changes quite a bit depending on what our emphasis is or what we think we need to work on. Well, fantastic. And, you know, before we hopped on the mic, you mentioned that you would love to talk about, you know, breaking some of the traditional thought process in baseball. And we've talked about the differences in hitting and the differences in just BP. But you also had a couple of other things that you'd like to talk about. So do you mind digging into a couple of those? Sure. Uh, you know, my my big pet peeve, honestly, is as coaches, I don't think we're courageous enough sometimes in situations. I I think 3-0 and should be a hitter's count mm-hmm. by far. It boggles my mind. I've actually taken the data last two years. You know, we got track men at Florida State. And so I've taken the last two years of data. Your least quality pitch from a pitcher standpoint is is 3-0 and mm-hmm. because he's relaxed. He's thrown, He knows he's throwing fastball. He's trying to get right back in rhythm. And most of those pitches are going right down the plate. And you know what's coming, fastball. Nobody's, you know, unless it's a unique situation, you know, you're probably not throwing slider. You're probably not throwing changeup on 3-0 and unless, you know, there's a certain situation that really dictates that. So from that point of view, why as coaches are we not letting these hitters hit in the most advantageous count? Mm-hmm. If you're going to let them hit on 3-1, well, then why aren't you letting them hit on 3-0? And by the same token, if you're taking on 3-0, then you pretty much have to let them take on 3-1 because you're not trusting your hitter. So that's that's one of my little pet peeves. I, I think otherwise, I think, you know, shifting on defense, I think should be a default. And then we straighten out for, for certain situations. But I, you know, for the life of me, I, I don't know why if you got a situation where, you know, batted balls are going 80% to one side, we're still filling the left-hand side with two fielders and right-hand side with two fielders. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, there's a plethora of stuff that I could probably go through and probably people think I'm a complete idiot right now, but I don't care. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, the, the more I, the more I listen and, and talk through Twitter, you know, which I think is the most unbelievable thing in the world for coaches, by the way, the, the more I understand things, the more I, the least I understand. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just a situation where things kind of need to get broken at some point so we can kind of fix it back in a different way. And it doesn't mean the old way was wrong. It just means there might be a different way of looking at things that we might want to revisit. Oh, definitely. And I've been using, and I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but I've been using uh, myself coaching during summer ball as a little bit of an experiment to think out of the box. And so I, I've talked to our players about, you know, swinging 3-0. And, you know, it's something that, you know, growing up and even my first several years of coaching, it's always an automatic take. And so the summer... Yep. I've taken the stance of, hey guys, if you're if it's a it's it's a pitch you can hit a double on, then I want you to swing at it. Otherwise, you can let it go. I mean, it's obviously we're ahead in the count, and if, if it's something that we can hit hard somewhere, I want to give them a shot. And not only has it freed them up, but it's also put a lot of pressure on the other pitcher to make a better pitch three and zero. 
it doesn't always work out. And, and sometimes, you know, you like, I'm thinking of one instance where we hit the ball hard right back at the third baseman and then he tags the bag and then it's double play. But at the same time, we're, we're trying to reward the process of what they're doing. And, and I, I've really enjoyed, you know, the, of what's come out of it, because again, it frees the, frees the hitter up to get their three swings in if they need them. But it also puts a lot of pressure on the on the pitcher to know that three O is not just a cupcake pitch. So I've 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 really liked it, and I've I'm going to continue to do that. Yeah, Jonathan, that's it's a great point you just brought up there because what people don't realize is that pitchers and and I pitch, so I know pitchers get to three O and then they can relax. It's a non stressful pitch because whether they make the pitch or not, they know the hitter's not swinging. So there's there's no there's no you know, stress there. So I think what you'll find is you let your hitters start opening up on three and zero. The walks are going to increase because now they know they, hey, this isn't a freebie. This is absolutely not a freebie. And so now that pressure situation comes into play. And now maybe instead of throwing seventy percent strikes on three and zero, now they're throwing fifty percent strikes on three and zero, and you just increased your walk total by a certain amount because of your mindset rather than anything else you've ever did mechanically. Right. And so while we're on the subject of breaking traditional thought processes and and things like that, we haven't really hit on, you know, mentality. So I know there has to be a huge difference in mentality from a high school hitter uh, to a division one, ACC, Florida State, SEC, any of those, any of the big conferences hitters. So what, you know, what are some of those conversations that you have with those players and what do those look like? Uh, it's It's a lot more cerebral, you know, game plan you know in high school you can pretty much if you're a really good athlete you can really dictate the game you find out really quick when you're playing against really good competition that having a game plan and understanding what the pitcher may be doing in certain situations and and just really thinking through what might happen ahead of time is huge you know the, you're obviously going to get pitched differently if there's men on second and third and and no outs than you would say man on first and and two outs and depending on the hitter you are, depending on, you know, where you're hitting in the order, you know, there's certain biases that come up that, hey, you know, he's the three hitter, so I'm going to pitch him backwards. Uh, he's the nine hitter, so I'm going to attack him with fastballs. So just knowing knowing the game a little bit and knowing having a plan of how you're going to attack that day against a certain pitcher is really huge in, in our game because – you know, everyone's got great stuff. You know, they've got exploding sliders coming after 95 mile an hour fastballs and, you know, strikeout totals in the college game are going up, not just the major league level. And I think 90% of it's due to just better stuff and, and being able to put hitters in a position to make early commitments. So having it for us from the mental side of things, you know, having a game plan is absolutely crucial. Um, if you go up there kind of blind to what you're doing and just seeing the ball and hitting it, you're you're going to get tore up by some of these guys. Oh, there's no doubt, no doubt for sure. And and I and I love to hear the that perspective because it's it's something that that all freshmen struggle at some point. And I think that that's a big reason why is mentally they're they're having to make a ton of changes. And obviously the guys are are so much better. You know, the best guy you see in high school is is probably just another guy in Division One baseball. But talk to us about, you know, your own personal growth and what is, you know, something that you are changing from this past spring to this upcoming year? Well, Jonathan, I, I've done almost a 180. You know, when, when I first 
got the job and 11 brought me up there, you know, I, I kind of made a commitment to myself that I was going to learn as much as I could. And the more I started looking around, the more I started learning, the more <laughs> I realized how much I didn't know. And some of the, I really had to open my mind to the fact that I was wrong, <laughs> you know, and whatever wrong that is, I, you know, you got to admit at some point that you're wrong on something. So, so from a personal growth standpoint, you know, I've done a lot of 180s on, on my thoughts on hitting and pitching and fielding and so forth. When it comes down to, you know, just what we're, I'm looking forward to um, coming this next year, I really think, you know, we talk about pitch tunnels a lot for pitchers. I think that's going to be key for hitters. I know the Astros and Diamondbacks are already doing it as well as a, a handful of other teams. And, you know, I'm sure they're doing some data mining and, and modeling to for certain pitchers. But I can really see the point where you're using TrackMan data and you're modeling up certain opposing pitchers and you're throwing those onto, say, you're getting your Rapsodo out and you're you're setting your machines up for a certain spin rate and a certain fastball, slider, breaking ball, whatever it is. And you're getting your hitters pre-game into that. So I think from the from the data analysis side, I think things are going to get just explode on the college level. Um, I think if you're a coach and you're not doing some of that, you're probably falling behind already. If you're not ready to at least explore it and implement some of the stuff that you can already do, you're you're going to find yourself kind of wagging your tail later on. So, you know, while we're on the subject of learning, what is, you know, the latest thing learned that you are really excited about? Good question. Um, you know, the, there's so many things, you know, and it's funny because you go through Twitter and you'll pop up like 20 different ideas every day, which, which is why I love it. You know, the, the pitch tunneling stuff is obviously interesting to me. I, I love the fact that I can game plan with, with data. The, the tra- I, I think at some point, you know, on, on the major college level, everyone's going to have track, man, everyone's information is going to be available. So I'm really looking forward to game planning, honestly. How am I going to use that TrackMan data to make our hitters and make our pitchers, you know, in a better place to succeed? And I think, I think that's kind of what I'm really excited about going forward. I love that. And, and I think the use of data is only going, to go, only going to go up from here for sure. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about something that your players love. So Let's say that 11 puts this on the practice plan and the players just absolutely love it. What would that, that thing or things be? <laughs> I'm laughing right now because it's, it's, it's definitely our seminal drill. Um, it's basically coach pitch. We split the teams up into two sides and they go at it. And we will throw and we'll make it competitive to where, you know, you're setting your defense up. You got three outs. You got to score. And you're get basically getting 47 mile an hour fastballs down the middle, and we're driving balls, and we're trying to be as fast as we can in this thing. And uh, the players just absolutely eat it up because number one, it's fun. You know, you get to go hack, and you get to go try and drive balls as hard as you can off the center field wall. But in the meantime, you know, it's it's a grudge match because if you set it up correctly and the teams are competitive, that you know, the kids will look forward to this every single week. And what we find is that, you know, it plays right into game situations. You might need a double cutoff here. You might, you might need, you know, you might have a play in this, in the sixth hole where the third baseman's got to cover back and be able to grab an out. 
And these guys understand that if if they lose, you know, they're getting heckled by their teammates for the next week. So by far, it's at, it's our seminal drill is the most popular thing we do. Oh, that's fantastic. And so, Coach Keller, you've you've mentioned several different times of how big of an influence that Twitter has been on your coaching career. I can say the exact same thing. But what are some of your other favorite resources that have really shaped your coaching career that you'd like to share with the coaches listening? You know, I uh, I've read a lot of bu- books over the year. You know, just this past year, I've read a bunch of them. The one I really liked was Hitting Biomechanics by Bob Keys. Uh, I think it was fantastic. His description of the rotational lineal uh, engine within the swing was, I thought, was fabulous. You know, from and again going back to you know actually. The Way of Baseball, Finding the Stillness at 95. I just opened that up. There's a great chapter in there talking about separation of space. Uh, that, you know, that's Sean Green's book. I thought was mm-hmm. was absolutely tremendous. And, you know, and then you know, your Twitter, you, know, you got – obviously, you got uh, the guys at Driveline. You got Kyle and, and, uh, and Matt Daniels and Jason Ochart. Absolutely followed you know, Jerry Weinstein. You know, I'm biased there, but you know, he puts out so many – so many good informational tidbits there that you can't ignore that. You know, there's just, it's hard not to learn, you know, Jonathan, it's just hard not to learn if you're on Twitter and, and it doesn't mean that everyone agrees with everything, but, but at the same time, you got to be able to be discerning and what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And, and maybe you learn something and maybe you take a 180 and that's kind of where I went. You know, I went, I made a 180 on a lot of things that I thought were absolutely the right thing. And now I've totally rethought it. And it's only because I've opened up my mind a little bit and I listened instead of, instead of talk. So for anybody that's wanting to really open up their instructional side, whether you're a coach or, or a player or, or so forth, I think Twitter is just a huge asset. No, definitely. <laughs> and, and it just, it shows you that even a, a guy as well-seasoned as yourself and how much the game is not necessarily going to change, but how much of the teaching aspect is going to change, and especially the last 10 years and just thinking 10 years down the road of if you're not learning something every single day or every single year, then in a couple of years, you're going to be obsolete. And so it's just fantastic to hear you say that. Well, you know, it, it's not just that, but it's the communication side with the players coming up. You know, at some point, everyone's going to have either diamond kinetics or blast sensor. They're going to know all their metrics and they're going to come talk to you as a coach and they're going to say, I'm doing this, this and this, and this is where I'm at. And you got to be able to communicate with them, whether you believe in what you believe or you believe what they believe. You got to be able to communicate. Hey, I've seen that. Here's where I disagree with that. Or you know what? You're right. I saw that, too. And this is exactly where I'm coming from when I'm talking to you about this. You got to be able to communicate with the kids coming in, because if you can't, they're just going to see you as a dinosaur and you've already lost the race. They're never going to buy in. Oh, I love that. And that's fantastic. Is that something that you guys are, are starting to see more and more of? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, and I think you're going to start seeing that just in a general sense to where, you know, you used to get your questionnaires and you ask, okay, you got a pitcher, what's his velo? Well, now you're asking, okay, what's his, what's his velo? What's his spin rate? What's the access on his breaking ball? You know, you're asking those secondary and, and third questions now, and I just think it's just going to get more and more detailed because, honestly, we're making such big decisions on kids so early in the process now that the more information you have on that kid, the better off you're going to be bringing that kid into your program. I love that, and it's, that's unbelievable, and 
it's really cool to be able to see not only that we have all of these metrics, but how you guys are using them. But if our listeners want to get in touch and, you know, ask you some questions from the show or just ask you some questions in general about really anything, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? They can always contact me through Twitter at Clyde Keller. They can always email me, uh, Clyde Keller at gmail.com. And if they're able to sit through and, and look at some stupid stuff on the web, they can always go to ckbaseball.com. And I'm pretty sure, you know, they'll all leave after that thinking they're more stupid. But they're welcome to hit me up any, any of those three ways. And I'd be happy to answer any questions I can because I, I do want to grow the game and I want to give my experiences out to people. And whether it's valuable or not, you know, it's, it's information. Well, you've got an open mic, and Coach Keller, I really appreciate you being on the show, but I want to ask you, you know, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Uh, you know, the only thing I would stress is that, you know, I, I'm 51 years old now. I'm a volunteer coach at, at Florida State. You know, I was lucky enough to be able to get in that situation, but I think as coaches, you know, coaches need to do a, a better job of actually understanding where the players are coming from. And by that, I mean, there's going to be a lot more data. There's going to be a lot more analysis being available. And you got to be able to communicate with your kids. If you can't do that, you're in trouble as a coach. Everything is just going that way. And you can fight it for as long as you can, or you can kind of, or you can adapt. And I think the coaches that are able to quickly adapt to the change in environment are those coaches that are going to succeed and be ahead of everyone else. So I would, I would really encourage coaches to be a little more courageous and not only you know, strategy-wise in the game, maybe opening themselves up to new ideas, like hitting 3-0, and by the way. But I'd also encourage them to be a little more courageous in, in going out and being a little more curious about the game and what other people are thinking, so that at least you have a, a base knowledge point to where you can go ahead and talk to a kid and say, you know what, I like math, and, and this is how you add, but maybe you need to learn how to subtract and, and divide and multiply all that kid understands. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.